From the Sunshine State, this is Tampa Bay's TAN Talk. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events, plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Hello, this is the music editor at Rolling Stone magazine. That's good morning, Miller. Yes, it is. I think you should be writing for us. That's a good thing. Demand for goods at the same time we're facing disruptions. They're gonna buy you drinks. Don't take drugs. They're gonna fly you places for free. It's Bowie. You're gonna meet girls. On the road with the band. Your mom talks! Rock stars have kidnapped my son. Spirits run high. There's acid in the beer that's in the red cups. How do you know when it's kicked in? I am a golden god! Innocence runs wild. Let's deflower the kid. We need this story in four days. Your time has come. And there's more to write home about. Can you speak with William, please? Then the music. What do you love about music to begin with? Everything. It's so easy to slip. We're gonna die. Something should happen. Maybe I never said this enough. I love all of you. Don't you have any regular friends? Famous people are just more interesting. And now... Hey, Rocky! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat! Again? Nothing up my sleeve! Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey, everybody. This is Andy Powell, guitarist, Wishbone Ash, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgia Reading Cards. I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out NostalgicRadioCars.com, the archive page. Good evening, Bobby. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. So we're just rocking and rolling along here, you know. And what it's, we do, that's what we play. That's what we play. It's Rock Nober, no, Rock Rockvember. Is that what it is? Rockvember. Does that work? Okay. Rockvember. Uh, we well, did Rocktober. Well, now let's, we're, we're, let's talk about this for a week, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back with a name. <laughs> we'll come back with a name. Well, let's see. What do we got going on? Uh, there's a couple things. Uh, obviously, if you want to find out where any of the car shows are, definitely check out flacarshows.com. A couple weeks ago, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I think I did say I went to Las Olas Car Show down there in Los, Fort Lauderdale. It's pretty cool. Uh, Villages Car Show is this Saturday. Leadfoot Cities is Sunday. Uh, and Moultrie Swap Meet is also this week. So, hmm. Makes you go, hmm. And the next weekend is uh, the Turkey Rod Run over in Daytona. It's also Turkey Day, so happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We'll do it a week early just in case we forget because I have dementia and I forget things. Oh, we've been known to do that. We've been known to do that, yeah. We always, well, we could also say, you know, uh, it's like Halloween. Halloween. Happy Halloween, but it was a few weeks ago, wasn't it? Something like that, three weeks ago, anything like that? Yeah. Hey, we got an exciting show for you tonight. we got a very special guest coming on, and uh, we're on our little music rock and roll thing here a little bit. And um, so we're looking forward to that. Um, this past weekend, what did we do? Uh, we worked. We didn't go anywhere. <laughs> there was a couple car shows. Uh, Vic had his uh, Cigar City Concourse this weekend, and uh, I'm sure it went well. And then there was this other little event, tiny little event, just a little itty little event. It takes place every year over at Date City. It's called Bug Jam. And I'm sure they were bugging around because I know they do it like a Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing, and they uh, did their little gig Friday they, or Thursday. They were having a Friday, Saturday. Blah, 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 blah. Saturday they had their parades and. Their Where they drive there. those bugs right past our sister station. Where they drive? Yeah, right past WDCF, and the other one is what? W? Did I say right? Z-H-F? Yes, you did. ZHF. ZHR. ZHR. Zephyr Hills Radio. Zephyr Hills Radio and. What is it? Beautiful. Wonderful Dade City. Florida. Wonderful Dade City. That's what W stands for. That's pretty cool. And of course, we're WTN. What's this stand we, for? We love tans, tan, I guess. We're tan. Yeah, we're <laughs> like, uh, go to the beach and get a tan. All right. Um, we're going to have to get my buddy uh, Carlos uh, de Casada on the show. Now, Carlos is a real good friend of mine. Uh, he was gracious enough to work a deal out with me on his little uh, vintage Fender Mustang that he had, an original 67 uh, in white. With the uh, red pick guard, and the in the original case, I might add, and a fairly original guitar. I was tinkering with that the other day because we're going to be talking about musical instruments. And of course, I think last week was it last week I had my guitar here. I brought yes, my Fender. Yes, it was. Yeah, I brought my other special Fender. guest. My special guest was my uh, sixty. My my Fender, my parts Mustang, my parts Stang guitar, which has a sixty-five neck. It has uh, Stratocaster or. Um, Jaguar tuners, double Cluson, chrome, uh, kidney bean tuners, um, and then the body is the contoured body, which I like on the 70 up um, Mustang bodies, which is pretty cool. So, and it's and it was a sunburst, and it's kind of a, been stripped, and it's kind of a natural finish. So, and I actually played it, works real good. So I'm happy with that. And that was from my friends over there at uh, Tampa Guitar Repair over in Tampa. So they did a good job like that. But anyway, so I was uh, – but Carlos is uh, – not only races cars and has an amazing collection of cars, but uh, he's uh, 
navigating into offshore powerboat racing, and they were all down at Key West. I think that was over the weekend. And they took a first-place trophy. So uh, that's pretty cool. So we're going to have to get Carlos on the show. And he's a local guy. He's from Tampa. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Anyway, hey, I think what we're going to do is Bobby is going to go ahead and fire up the stereo. Since we're talking about Florida and uh, we're talking about music, I think it's only right that we get a little Tom Petty on here. And this is a song that didn't really – it got a lot of airtime originally back in the day. I'm guessing it was probably in the late 70s, early 80s when this song came out. But I kind of like this song. And then we're going to bring our special guest on for you in a minute. So, Bobby, why don't you go ahead and run the commercials real quick, and then we'll play the song, and then we'll get our guests on, and we'll do all that stuff. Did I confuse you? I actually – we already got FLA Car Shows in there. We did. Oh, but we'll okay. say them again. FLACarshows.com. Well, uh, how about uh, the Rib Shack? Got the Rib Shack in there. Got the tomorrow they'll be open. Oh, tomorrow they'll be open. Yeah, so close much. you can taste it. Yum, 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 yum. Okay. Oh, how about a big shout-out to Russo's Pizza up there on Golf the Bay? And uh, in case Norman's listening, but uh, and this goes out to uh, Don Reese at uh, what's her Hollywood Miracle Stories. Miracle Stories. Okay. Anyway, so a big shout out to Russo's Pizza Parlor over there on Gulf the Bay, right there. What's that shopping center called? Belcher Shop. Uh, Something like that. Yes. Yeah. Belcher, Belcher and uh, Plaza. Belcher Plaza, on, where the Publix is on Gulf the Bay. So we might stop by there and have to hit him up for a pizza since. Uh, we're doing our pizza PR. Give him a plug. Pizza, pizza PR. That's what we'll call it. But PR for pizza. Okay, anyway, so on that note, let's fire up a little Tom Petty. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cards. Don't touch that doll. We'll be right back with our very special musical guest here in a short, short. Thank you. Another badass, another troublemaker. I'm scared, ain't you boys scared? I wonder if he's going to show us what bad is. Boys, we got a man with the dog got to run. Then we ought to throw all spag Jimmy Dean, bet he's got a motor back. What do y'all think? Bet it would be good. We'll get a ride on it. If he ain't too mad about the future, maybe we go to help him see. The future ain't what he used to be. Listen, hey, Spot, what are you like?
Casablanca, city of hope and despair, located in French Morocco in North Africa. The meeting place of adventurers, fugitives, criminals, refugees, lured into this danger-swept oasis by the hope of escape to the Americas. But they're all trapped, for there is no escape. Against this fascinating background is woven the story of an imperishable love and the enthralling saga of six desperate people, each in Casablanca, to keep an appointment with destiny. I was willing to shoot Captain Rano, and I'm willing to shoot you. All right, Major, you asked for it. you than you suspect. I know, for instance, that you're in love with a woman. It's perhaps a strange circumstance if we both should love the same woman. What do you want for Sam? I don't buy and sell human beings. That's too bad. That's Casablanca's leading commodity. You can ask any price you want, but you must give me those letters. That's no deal. All right. I tried to reason with you. I tried everything. Now I want those letters. Hi, this is Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is the president and founder of the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Joe Chambers. Joe, how are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good, and I'm sure that things are going real well over there at the Musicians Hall of Fame and uh, Museum. So why don't you share with our guests a little bit, our listeners, how this whole, how your involvement in music began for you, basically as a child, leading up to where you are today. Are you sure you want to hear well, you know, I mean, you're, you're probably like a lot of us, you know, you, you listen to rock and roll, you probably saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and said, you know what, I can do that, I can play a guitar. Well, actually, I could, I, I did have a, I did have a Mickey Mouse wind-up guitar when I was five, I think, and, and uh, uh, I was down in, my, my grandparents lived in South Georgia, and I was, remember being on the front porch with my uncles and I was thinking in um, Northville, Alaska, or well, Hound Dog, one of the two, over the song that was cranking out on that little guitar, and my, I remember my aunts and uncles laughing, and I'm like, well, that was, that's fun, I'll take attention any day. <laughs> and, um, and then it's kind of, it, you know, music, I just, uh, I just realized, you know, I've, I've said this to a lot of inter- other interviews, I just understood I heard um, like Michael Jordan or somebody say one time that he was in the moment at a like in the middle of this big playoff game and he's going up for a layup and his head's telling him, you know, to make the goal, but at the same time remember this, you know, because you're gonna, this is this is something you're going to want to remember this moment. And I kind of always felt that way about the music that I was listening to on the radio and how it continually 
morphed into something that was even better from Elvis own, you know, the Everly Brothers and and the Beach Boys especially, I love them and, and then and you know, the um the um the folk all the folk stuff I enjoyed and then the mamas and the papas kind of took it another level and the birds and the, and the Motown and Stacks and and just every every genre just kept changing just a little bit, taking something from the other one and and morphing into something new. It's all new, you know. And so I had a transistor radio my dad gave me when I was in the fifth grade, and I had a little earphone that ran up my sleeve into my ear during math class. And I was listening to the Beatles and the British Invasion and everything else that was on the radio instead of listening to my teacher. And But uh, I don't regret it, you know, so... That that was my I, I just I was enthralled in what was what I was hearing and my brother had a guitar and he really never learned how to play it and we had a little skid in the at school in the fifth grade nineteen sixty five and um me and three other guys put on some beetle wigs and I had the record eight days a week and I don't want to spoil the party A side B side. And so we got up and pretended like we were the Beatles, and these little girls start screaming, you know. And I'm like, whoa, I like that, too, you know. And <laughs> when we got through, uh, three of them had me cornered in the, up against the Georgia flag at the, at the side of the little uh, cafeteria uh, stage and play something. I'm like, I, I don't know how. Come on, Joe, play something. I'm like, I, I don't know how. Okay, tomorrow. <clears throat> so I went home and I picked out Kicks by Paul Revere and the Raiders. They intro to that and and that was it. I, after that, I said I'm going to do this. I think <laughs> foreseeable future, and that's what started. So the, you had you had a band though, right there? Because uh... well, yeah. When I was when I was 14, I kept you know I had to learn how to play right first, you know, and so. Uh, you know, the, there was a guy that lived behind me uh, in the neighborhood behind my my house. He's called uh, Joanne. He had an old circle called Joanne Drive in Columbus. And he had a band called the Columbus Shadows. And they had a three-piece horn section. And uh, they wore, you know, the same color shirts and pants. And they were doing the, the Blue-Eyed Soul thing. So they were high school student but they were really good and Glenn uh, Settles who lived down the street from me had a his, he had a real cool 60 split level house with a basement and that's where they rehearsed and they let me hang out with him down there and, and Glenn would show me he showed me like a few songs of the basics and <laughs> excuse me and so um after about uh, two years of, you know, trying to learn how to play good enough to maybe start a band, one day Glenn said, Joe, why don't you start a band? So I was 14. I went, okay. So I put a band together, and um, we played our first gig, uh, I think it was September the 6th of 69, at the Moose Lodge about a mile from my house. And then we started doing private parties and high school parties and the uh, the whole smear, and then we 
you know, there, in, back then there was one way in Columbus, Georgia, that you could get recognition in music, and that was to win the JC-sponsored Battle of the Bands. So that was my goal before I went to college or Vietnam, whichever one it was going to be, because that's kind of how it was all during the 60s for my generation. Um, I wanted to win the Columbus, Georgia Battle of the Bands, and so we had like three years. And uh, so we we didn't place the first year. We came in second my junior year in high school. The band members did not want to enter again, but I'm like, I'm going to enter us anyway. So I entered us anyway. And that year we won the Nationals, first place in the nation. So <clears throat> that kind of prolonged the longevity of the band. And the two things I hadn't told you was that at the time I put the band together, I had two, I mean, you know, in order to be in a band when you're like 15, 16 years old, whatever, uh, or especially 14, you got to be able to get to band practice. And so we that kind of restricted the area that you could pick from as far as getting players in age group, you know. So um, out, of the, out of the age group and the vicinity that we had to, Try to round up some musicians. One of them was named Steve Lott. He played trumpet, and Steve had a cousin, a third cousin who he never met, who was named Billy Sherrill. And Billy was the president of CBS Records. Now, we didn't know that. We just knew he was a producer in Nashville, whatever producer was. We had no idea. And plus, he was country, so we didn't care about that either. And then our keyboard player's uncle managed a country singer named Conway Twitty. And Conway meant nothing to us either, except for the fact his best friend was Dick Clark. Oh, boy. (laughs) There was was our connection to rock and roll. You know, this is before computers and all that, you know. And so after we won the National Battle of the Bands, and Conway, you know, was told about it, he says, well, he was living in Oklahoma City at the time because he could get to anywhere in the United States, just about, and get back home in the same amount of time because it's in the center of the country, and so he could fly and get back to his family. And he said, "Well, if the boys come out to Oklahoma City. Uh, I'll, I'm not going to produce them, but I'll, I'll hang out with them and and get the tape to Dick Clark for him, let him review it." So, um, we that's what we did. We went out there in summer '73 and. And then he sent it to Dick, and Dick critiqued it. And luckily for me, I was really shy. I did not want to write lyrics because I didn't want anybody making fun of me. But I wrote the music to the original songs that we did. <laughs> and there was one song I wrote. I couldn't help it. I, I wrote half the song. And I said, okay, I'm not going to write any more of this. I'll let, I'll let the lead singer finish it up. And that way, if, if everybody starts making fun of me, I'll, I can drag him down with me. <laughs> and, uh, Misery loves company. That's right, man. And so um, it ended up that, that, that Dick said that was the best song on the tape. So that was the second that I was validated. It felt like I could maybe be a, a lyricist, you know, but not country. I wanted to think about country. And so a couple of years later, Conway had moved to Nashville because he said, you know, he already had like 30 number one records, but he said, if you're going to be in the business, you got to be in Nashville. So they packed up, moved here, and opened up what they call Twitty City. It's now the now the uh, 
PBS or Christian Broadcasting Network here or whatever, they bought the property after he passed away. And um, so I came up here to see him with another demo tape that we cut in Atlanta. And we couldn't see him. We had an emergency. And so um, I called my mom and I said, Mama, we can't see Conway and we've got an appointment in Muscle Shoals tomorrow. We were going to go to Muscle Shoals Sound Studios. A guy named Jerry Masters had engineered there and that's where they cut sticky fingers with the stones. And so um, she said, well, why don't you find Chet Atkins? And I went, uh, how am I going to do that? <laughs> and uh, she goes, well, I hear he likes to help young people. And how she knew that, I don't know. But he he did do that. You know, he, I mean, Don Everly told me later, years later, that it were not for Chet, there never would have been an Everly Brothers, you know, and, he said he didn't look at our hair or where we came from. He just listened to the music, you know. And, and so uh, I called the Chamber of Commerce and I said, I want to find Chet Atkins. And I, was, I mean, I was so ignorant that to think that, you know, I could call the Chamber of Commerce and get hooked up with Chet. But I said, well, he's at RCA Studios. And I said, well, where is that? There's a music rock. So we found out where it was and we were driving over there. We did we did call, uh, I called RCA and they had set me up an appointment with somebody lesser not yet and so I'm on the way over there I see CBS records I went whoa that's where um Chicago and blood sweat and tears who is who we wanted to be that's the label they're on so we um uh stopped I stopped there now and I went into the lobby and I had a, I had the one copy of the demo tape we had which was really dumb to go up there with one copy in case it broke or scratched or something, you know. And, and uh, there was a guy sitting on the sofa when I walked in the door reading a Billboard magazine. And I kind of, being from Georgia, I said, you know, I nodded to him, how you doing? He nodded back, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess he's waiting to see somebody too, you know. And so I walk up to the front desk, and there's a lady, was the secretary, who later became a really good friend named uh, Norma Jean. Um, she gave me this card that said, if we like your songs, we'll get back with you in six weeks, and if not, we don't return the tape. And I said, well, I can't leave the tape. There's only one I got. So I turned around, was walking out, and um, I had brought the drummer and the singer with me. And one of them said, hey, what was Steve Watt's third cousin lives up here? And the other one said, I think his name is uh, Billy Sherrill. And the guy I'd spoken to on the couch dropped the billboard in his lap and said, I'm Billy Sherrill. Wow. So I let go of the front door. I had it open about a foot and went up to Billy's office, followed him up to his office, and still didn't know who he was other than Steve's cousin and didn't know that he worked there. It was just a total fluke that he happened to be sitting in the lobby of the building we were in when we brought up his name. And, um, and, uh, the next week, we're recording. He, he he did a spec session on us for CBS. And that it took about a year for that to play out. But they already had Chicago. They already had Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And we were neither of those bands. We wanted to be, but we wanted that caliber. And I was not that good of a songwriter at the time. And so, um, 
I said, well, you know what, I, I'm tired of being in a band. I, and I, after being in Nashville, I realized, well, you can be a songwriter. And I, and I said, well, maybe I'll be a country songwriter. And so I, I first started pursuing that. And, and the summer of 77, and I moved here May of 78, and I had my first recording on a guy named Johnny Paycheck. He had just had this huge record called Take This Job and Shove It. Yep. And um, so I, I, had a, I had a song that I wrote by myself on the, on the follow-up album. And then um, that led to me signing with Billy Sherrill's company as the writer. And, and uh, <clears throat> I had Billy and Conway to help me tweak my songs and listen to them and say, you know, that really is not that good, Joe, or that's, that's better, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so I finally started, you know, getting some a number of songs cut. And then um, through a series of circumstances, Opryland Hotel asked me if I would put a house band together because of the band that we almost signed at CBS with and uh, for their house band at the uh, Opryland Hotel and they had a really big two-story club called the, the Stage Door Lounge and uh, it was like a Vegas club, really, really nice balcony and all that and so I went home and during Christmas of that year and because I didn't know enough people in Nashville to put a band together, you know, again, and like in my age group so forth. And so I went home and got some guys that I had played with or knew back in, in Columbus and we came back up and we had that gig for about a year. And uh, then we ended up, uh, you're in Clearwater, right? I'm in Clearwater, Florida. Yes, sir, we are. So then, um, it, it, let's see, Helen Cornelius and Jim Ed Brown used to come in and hang out and say us and uh they liked us, and they gave us their booking agent's name, and he booked us in Clearwater, Florida, when we left Harperland Hotel at a little club called the Roadway Inn on Columbus Avenue in the interstate there. I know exactly. That's on 19. I don't know. That's exactly where it was, U.S. 19 and uh, 60, Gulf to Bay. Uh-huh. That was – now – at the time, it wasn't in the great area. I don't know if it's like now, but... It's okay. It was where the mall was. Was this in the 70s? Yeah, the mall was across the street. Yep, that's it. That building's still there, by the way. Really? It's changed yeah. names a few times, but yeah. Uh-huh, it's still there. And the and the, uh, the Columbia, or Colombian restaurant was not too far from there, either. Uh, the, that's in Tampa. Really? It was. It was like... It didn't seem like it was that far of a drive. Or maybe there was there was one down in, on San Key, though. That's probably the Columbia restaurant down in San Key, which is basically Clearwater Beach. No, it was real close, to, to my knowledge. If best I, I can't hardly remember, but it wasn't. I didn't. I didn't think it was that far away from that from the roadway in on Columbia on Columbus Avenue. I, I didn't. I, I didn't think it was, but anyway. We were doing a bunch of goofy stuff back then. I can't remember. <laughs> okay. But to me, you know, it was a little, you know, two-level, 60-style hotel. Yep. Had a nice little club in it. We, and we played there for like six months of that year. And uh, they had a, a courtyard, you know, where you walk up, you know, you open your door from your hotel and you look out into the courtyard. Mm-hmm. Well, first and second story. And so they had a pool and a tiki hut lounge, you know, 
pina coladas and all that stuff and, and uh, palm trees. And we might as well have been in Waikiki as far as we were concerned. You know, it was because we looked up, it was blue skies and palm trees, and, you know, it was great. And, uh, and then we'd drive over to the, go over the causeway and go over to Clearwater Beach and uh, hang out there on the beach after we got up and got back in time to get on stage by 9 o'clock. And uh, so then uh, I got uh, I got engaged while I was there, um, and went, came back to Nashville and quit the band and and uh, started pursuing you know writing again instead of playing in, in the band and um, I did that for for quite a while, a few years, and had had a number of songs recorded and. Um, then I, around 85, I um, opened up a guitar shop and started. Then I had a chain of guitar shops for 25 years or so. And um, and then when I got ready to kind of pull the plug on it, uh, I realized there was not a Musician's Hall of Fame. And checked all over the world, couldn't find any. And so talked to my wife about it. She said, well do what you want to do and we you know we didn't do it for another to start another business to make money we just i just wanted to do it because i felt it needed to be done and and so that's what i've been doing since 2003 and we got to we bought a building across the country hall remodeled it got it opened and uh renovated it actually and and uh uh got it opened in june of 2006 in about 2008, the city decided they wanted to enlarge the convention center. And I just had to own what ended up being the middle of the new convention center, so they took it by eminent domain. And so then the economy tanked in 08, so they took a couple of years to be able to get the money together to build a building. So uh, when they finally did, you know, we, we um, they asked me if I'd move over across town and, and try to save the old municipal auditorium, which was one of the most historic music venues, certainly in Tennessee, in, in Nashville, if not Tennessee. And uh, starting in 1962, when they opened, you know, you had everybody from James Brown, Led Zeppelin, Elvis, uh, Black Sabbath, Conway Twitty, George, I mean, whatever, you know, Dick Clark Caravan shows. It was all there, and that was on the main level. And our, our, the, the, the first floor was the Nashville's first convention center. And so they asked if I would take that over and try to save the building, and we did. And so it's now in the National Historic Register, and uh, Live Nations uh, is um, booking, started booking events there again before the COVID hit. And and we, we occupied the first 68,000 square foot first floor and uh, and that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell man <laughs> well, now I got to ask you a couple questions. We actually got a uh, text from did we get a text from Bill about uh, his relative that's in uh, in um this is my oh, son, yeah, Bobby. Yeah, yeah, we did. Well, we got the the, the restaurant he was saying, Tio Pepe's. Yeah, but, he said, uh, was it Tio Pepe's restaurant or was it because you mentioned Columbia? Tio Pepe's used to be right down the street from the road. It was the Columbia. It was the Columbia. Okay, it was and then Columbia, 
All right. What about the Surfside? There was a. You have a connection with the Surfside uh, Motel down there. There's Holiday Inn Surfside. Yeah. yeah. So when so when we came back up here, uh, when I got married, I mean when I got engaged, and, we, and I quit the band, and, we, and I moved back here, and the um and the band was playing up here. Uh, they got a replacement for me. And they kept playing for about four, four more months, and then I think the band broke up. And then <clears throat> Jimmy, the singer, and Cliff, the singer, uh, Jimmy was the singer in my band in Columbus for Jimmy Price. He lives, he still lives there in Clearwater. And then Cliff Downs, I met up here, and he got him in the in the Opryland Hotel Band. And I had gone down to Columbus and got Jimmy and put him in the Opryland Hotel Band as well. And so they had wonderful harmonies together, and so they started doing a duo. And so when they they were playing up here, and it was February and cold and snowing, and they decided they was going to go back down and see some of our friends in Clearwater at the at the roadway. And then they ended up going over to Clearwater Beach, and they they set in. They had a talent contest, and they won it. It like the Surfside or something like that, and and then they asked if they would, you know, start playing there, and so they started drawing really big crowds. And then the the other hotel on the other end of the beach, I think it was called Holiday Inn as well. Mm-hmm. There's two of them. That's right. I wanted to book them in the daytime on the beach or on their on their, by their pool or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. patio out there, right? Yeah. So they did one one inside at night at the one, and then the daytime down by the beach on the other. They were making great money. You know, had free lodging, you know, free food. And uh, I was producing a guy named David Clayton Thomas, who used to be the lead singer from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And I uh, had a deal for him on, on CBS. And his his manager came up, came down from New York, and he was really good friends with Ahmed Erdogan, who was the head of CEO, founder of Atlanta Records. And so they came up there. They they met the guys, two guys that owned the Hertz or Avis one, rent a car for the state of Florida. And they heard them playing at the first side. And, and, and actually, Cliff and I had written a song called April Spool, and they were playing it. And the guy said, is that original? He goes, yeah. Why not a hit? He goes, I don't know. And so he offered to back them. And so they Gave them like forty grand, and that's you know they came up and started recording at the studio I was working at with uh, Billy Sherrill, who had been left at Columbia and was over at Eleven Eleven Studios, and so um, um, uh, Sid, I think it was Sid Bernstein or whatever. Anyway, it was uh, he. He was there with David, and and. Uh, he, he took the tape and played it to Amit, and Amit signed him to Atlantic. And, you know, they were kind of like uh, Hall and Oates kind of. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. And they, and they, but they, uh, you know, you never, you just never know, you know, that for whatever reason, after a half a million dollars in the studio and putting the album out, that they just decided to, to shelve it. Huh. Did you uh, collect any uh, royalties or anything like that for uh, your songwriting contributions to that uh, particular song? Uh, 
Well, no, no, because they didn't record it actually. Oh, okay. No, no, but I no, I was I wrote I, I wrote a lot of songs in country music. Uh huh. And yes, I, I did. I got royalties. Still do. Okay. In your travels, um, Tommy Rowe is a musician. He's out of Atlanta, Georgia. Did you ever cross yeah, paths with him? I mean, he was a rock yeah, and roll kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, briefly, I was just up at a, in a publishing company one evening, and uh, but he was writing for Lowry Music in Atlanta. Uh huh. And, and I and I, I and uh, I didn't know Bill Bill Lowry, but I knew his son Butch. Mm-hmm. And um, but Bill Lowry was a huge figure in, in, in music and he signed Joe South and Billy Joe Royal and uh, um, band do you like Pena Collada or something? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, he wrote that song? Really? No, he didn't write it but I mean there's the guy that did was signed to to uh, Mr. Lowry's label or okay. publishing company. Um and uh, uh, he had uh, he had Ray he had Ray Stevens and Jim, and, and uh, um, Jerry Reed. And, oh wow! Um, and you know just just Joe's catalog alone, you know, because Joe would produce. Joe had his own hits, and he wrote Rose Garden for Lynn Anderson as well. Okay. And he wrote Hush, which you know he had a hit with it. Billy Joe Royal had a hit with it. And then Deep Purple had a smash with it, right? And um, and he played. He was also a great studio musician. Uh, Joe was, and he played guitar on songs like "Sound of Silence." And, um, That's Simon and Garfunkel, right? Simon and Garfunkel, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, a chain of fools with Aretha. Aretha, right? Yeah, I mean, so he was. He was. He was. He was. He was. He was very talented. Produced a lot of hit records as well as playing them as well. Are you familiar with uh, Paul Scholten? Does that name ring a bell? Mm, Paul Schaefer, but not Paul Scholten. Uh, it's mm-hmm. County Q Recording Studio. County Q, yeah. I remember that studio. Okay. That's uh, one of the guys here that has a radio show here. Um, what's Bill's show, Bobby? Uh, only in America before us. Yeah. and a relative. Uh, he, he's a relative of his in uh, Nashville, and he has that studio. Yeah, County Q is a Nashville studio. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us about recording artists, okay? So, or I mean, uh, session musicians. So, when you write your songs, do you sit down with session musicians and no. play that first, or how does that? I mean, or do you do we actually give it to a to a well known musician and and let them sort through it, or how does it? What's the process? What's the procedure? Well, uh, you know, hell, you can write with a with a service station attendant. It doesn't matter. You know, you write with. Um, you could, yeah. I mean, some studio musicians are really great songwriters, uh-huh. uh, and some of them are are not. You know, I mean, I mean it's a whole different. It's, it's like two different animals. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's like apples and oranges. You, you can be a right a great singer, not be a great songwriter or a musician. So. Studio musicians are really hired guns to uh, to come in and 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 lay down some really good tracks. Um, uh, for a singer and for a songwriter, 
and uh, producer. And they may do, you know, three or four songs an hour. Yeah, so that's your job. Okay. You're talking about publishing publishers, publishing companies, and then the radio produ- the record producers. Give us a kind of like a, a, a kind of a procedure, kind of how that works. In other words, if you're if you're a songwriter, then do you go through a, a publisher first, and then what does he have as far as control and rights over the song with you, the songwriter, and then getting the song produced, and then going to the record label? Well, it's it's like two it's like two different dollars. It's like there's a publishing dollar, so to speak, uh-huh. and a songwriting dollar. Okay. And if you're lucky um, and smart, it used to be that most songwriters knew nothing about publishing, and the publisher gets paid as as much money as the uh, as the songwriter does, except they make more because they own the copyright. Oh. So after a after a song has been number one or whatever, and say it made a half million dollars, and, it, and so the writer or the writers made a half million that they split up, or if it was one writer, he got to keep it. The publisher or publishers, if it's co-published, gets another half million to split. And if you're lucky enough and you own the publishing and the, wrote the song, then you get a million on a number one record, let's say. But then, after five or ten years or two years or whatever, if the song earned a total of two and a half million dollars, I think it's something like that. Anyway, you can the publisher can, can sell the copyright and give up his all of his rights to the song for, for about what it made so far. So they get that much again where the, the, the writer does not. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, here's what I want to do. Um, we got a few minutes left. I want you to talk a little bit about the Musicians Hall of Fame what, and give us kind of like a tour, but I would definitely want to have you back on the show because I want to talk about that a little bit because we've got artists out there, let's say like Neil Young, um, uh, Lobo, they sold their publishing rights, and I yeah. I want you to go into that a little bit and kind of explain to the listeners and, and myself kind of how that kind of worked out for them. But let's just jump over to the uh, Musicians Hall of Fame. Tell us a little bit about some of the instruments. Give us basically a a, 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 a verbal tour of what we can expect it because we're looking for it. Next time Bobby and I go to Nam, we're going to definitely make a point to come up there and, and, and check that out and visit you. Yeah, I'm about Nine blocks up the street from now. Yeah. Okay. And actually, where you go to now used to be my first museum. I remember you telling me, yeah, you were right in the middle, and they just, they just basically eminent domain took you right out of the picture there. But yeah, they did, man. They, you, yeah. but you got a great location now. So take us to the museum there a little bit. Tell us what we can expect to find. Well, to create another country hall or another rock hall would be redundant, you know. And and uh, when I was getting ready to kind of retire from selling guitars and so forth, uh, I, I just realized, I don't know why, I just wanted to ask, there's no Musicians Hall of Fame. And the reason that I was really even aware of it or tuned into it was because as a songwriter and a producer, um, I, I, I used some of the greatest musicians in the world on, uh, on records that I produced or wrote or whatever. And the same guys that I was using played on 
He stopped loving her today for George Jones. Um, All Things Must Pass for George Harrison. Uh, It just, you know, just because you're in Nashville, especially, the musicians can play anything. And so, yeah, I mean, people think of Nashville. They don't know that Jimi Hendrix learned how to play guitar here. I didn't know that either. Well, see? And he lived over on Jefferson Street. He was going. He was in stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Yeah. And if you watched the movie Woodstock, or if you were at Woodstock, the bass player was named Billy Cox. And he and Billy were stationed at Fort Campbell. When they were discharged, they moved here about a mile and a half from where the museum is. And the black part of town, which was called Jefferson Street, and Jefferson Street was kind of like Bill Street in Memphis, or or what's the one in in New Orleans? Um, oh, uh, Bourbon Street. Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. It was all music. So they had these these little clubs up and down um, Jefferson Street, which was what they called the Chitlin Circuit. Are you familiar with that? Oh yeah. So they would cook, you know, Chitlin. Fried chitlins and fried catfish and music. And they have these really sophisticated names like the Club Baron or the Club Del Rocco or something. You get these really exotic pictures in your mind. And then they're, they're little one room, you know, um, convenience store looking buildings or something. But um, so Hendrix played all up and down Jefferson Street with Billy Cops. And, uh, he said that, you know, this is where he learned to play guitar because everybody, every time he walked past my house, he'd be sitting on the front porch playing guitar, and you weren't going to impress anybody here. And he, he picked up a lot of, of uh, knowledge from some of the old R&B players here in Nashville. And uh, so when he uh, went to England and got Noel Redding in the band, he and Noel didn't always hit it off well. Um, Noel played bass, and... Uh, I knew I knew Mitch Mitchell because Mitch used to live here. The drummer used to live here in Nashville, and he used to come by my guitar shop. We were we were friends, and um. But anyway, uh, when when Noel left the band, Billy called, and I mean Jimmy called Billy Cox and brought him up to Woodstock, and so he went from playing the little Chitlin Circuit Club here in Nashville to Woodstock overnight. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, Megadeth records here, or Hash records here. Um, so the first record that Paul McCartney ever bought was recorded here, Bebop Alula, which, by the way, was published by Bill Lowry in Atlanta. No kidding. And that was cut at the first recording studio on what became Music Road. And it was a house that Mr. Owen Bradley bought. And he cut the, the floor out there or the ceiling out of the basement to give it some height. And um, they cut, they cut uh, I think, I followed the pieces with Patsy Cline down there. and But then they went behind it and built a Quonset hut, you know, an old Army Quonset hut kind of a thing. And it sounded so much better than the, the studio in the basement did that they moved. Uh, they, they were they were filming country, country movies, little B-rated country movies and square dances in there. And not making a lot of money, they said, you know what, why don't we just make this a studio, too? So uh, the Studio B 
or actually the Quonset hut as it's known, was the first real studio other than the basement in the house in front of it on Music Row. And that's where Blue Velvet was recorded and Stand By Your Man and just, you know, tons and tons of records. Joe, we are up against the clock, but here's what I want to do. I have a whole list of questions. we got a couple other texts and emails. Can we have you back on the show next week and do part two? Would you be willing to do that for us? Sure. Yeah. We would love to have you back. Joe, I want to thank you very much. Uh, my special guest this evening was Joe Chambers, president and founder of the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville. And you've got some amazing stories. We were thrilled to have you on the show this afternoon. And we look forward to having you back on the show. Let's do part two next week. You up for that? Yeah, just give me a shout, man. We'll do that. All right. Thank you, Joe. We appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to next week, part two, with Joe Chambers and the Musicians Hall of Fame and more Nashville music stories. Thank you. Hey, guys, I want to thank all you, everybody for tuning in to Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us and Nostalgia Getting Cars, the archive page. And tune in next week between 7 and 8 p.m. for part two with Joe Chambers, founder and president of the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville and more Nashville music stories. Take care, guys. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City. FM 102.3. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.